pastor, uh, church, two churches every week? Is that one or two? One or two? It, it comes yeah. from a lesson and it depends upon the week. Okay. Well, let me tell you a story about that. You know, when you get older, all you want to do is tell stories. And when you start saying the same one over and over again, that's when you're in trouble. Amen. My wife says I'm in trouble. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> so I said to my mother, she's saying, I said, don't you know you're telling me the same stories over and over and over again? She said, I know it. I said, well, tell me a new one. And she said, well, when I was a little girl, uh, the, uh, and the weather was bad, and I was in kindergarten, my brother would saddle Tony and would ride Tony to school. And I thought, that's pretty interesting. I got to thinking about that. I knew where she went to school. That was a three-mile hike. Can you imagine? A little, she wasn't very big, a little kindergartner walking three miles to school. Now they pick them up every block, you know, when want the poor things to get all worn out, see. Uh, but they'd ride Tony. I thought that was pretty neat. That's not the story he's going to tell. When, uh, <laughs> when my grandson Wesley died, he was three years old in 2005, um, I rented a 15-passenger van. We had a number of people who wanted to go with us from the Rochester airport. I hounded that van all the way, just stopped for gas, whatever, to uh, Missouri. And uh, when it came back, it was using oil. It was only 50 miles on it when I took it out. And I told him, I said, I'm going to hound it. Not breaking this engine in right. No, it's fine, that's fine. But it was using oil. Anyway, uh, that's the hardest thing, one of the hardest things you never go through is to see a three-year-old grandson in a coffin. It was just horrendous. And so I was gone for I don't know how long, a week or so. And when I came back, my desk was just piled with mail, you know, junk mail and important mail and just mail. I started through it, and there was a letter from a a Baptist church in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. You know the pastor there? I I can't think of his name right offhand. He's a well-known guy. Um, And uh, I opened a letter, and it said uh, something like this. Dear Pastor Craig, we want you to know that you are our pastor of the month. And uh, I didn't know the guy. And I knew knew him by name. That's it. And uh, our church had been praying for you all month. I thought, wow. One of the spots in my life and my greatest need and God led this church to pray for me that whole month as their pastor of the month. I thought that's amazing. So fast forward one year and my wife passed away and I had a service there in Penfield and I had another one for the family where I interned her in Pennsylvania. So two services takes up a lot of time. So I was in there and then down there, and by the time I came back and all the dust settled, there's a lot more to that story, but uh, my desk was covered with mail. A year later, go through the mail, letter from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. Dear Pastor Craig, I want you to know that you are our pastor of the month. We've been praying for you all month. I'm, I get goosebumps now. I'm just telling that story. You know, that's God, folks. That's, God. that's a token. You know what we call that? We call that a God sighting. You ever go through your life and ch- and see the God sightings? That's a that's a God sighting, amen. And I looked at that, and so I called the brother up, and it was because he would take churches that advertised in the sort of Lord, and and uh, and he would pick one out, and that's how I did it. And so I called him, and I said, I got through his couple secretaries and got to him. And I said, Are you sitting down? And he said, Yes. And I told him, and we just had a hallelujah fit. Uh, that, 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 you know, God, you think, oh, just pray for a couple churches this week, you know, no big deal. You don't know what that pastor in that church is going through. And you don't know what their needs may be. And you don't know what God's going to do for them because you prayed for them. And uh, so that's, that just came come to mind as you announced that. You know how to tell a great pastor? Um, 
He wants to talk about the book. That's how you tell. Uh, some preachers you call and they'll talk about the weather, they'll talk about fishing, they'll talk about Kobe, Kobe Bryant just passed away. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, they'll talk about things like that. They'll talk about TV shows. And, oh, well, we talk about the Bible a few minutes, and that's about it. This man, I'd say a great, a great part of our time is talking about the Word. And that speaks volumes of your pastor. And uh, there's not too many guys like that that we can... I can bounce crazy ideas off of him, and he's already thought of it. Amen? <laughs> And, and you know what? That is just this book is the is the funnest book there is. It really is. I mean, if if you want to exercise your mind and and study study the word, there's just so much you'll never 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 learn at all. There's a passage, and we could talk about this. I hath not seen or he hath heard, neither has entered in the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for those who love Him. That's uh, basically given twice in the Scripture. I think one time it's talking about heaven. I think another time it's talking about the book. All right. So I have not seen or earth heard, neither has entered the heart of man, the things that God's prepared for him in this book. I like what J. Vernon McGee said some years ago. He said, when I get to heaven, and my, all my congregations in heaven, he said, I'm going to get all those folks who wouldn't come to prayer meetings, sit them down and teach them the Bible for a million years. <laughs> Amen. And uh, I thought that was, that was good. Boy, and you could too. You really, really could. Amen. So wonderful. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And verse number 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse number 6. And I'm going to give you some things kind of hurriedly, because I want to cover, usually I don't care about covering a, a quantity of, of, uh, of material. I like to do the quality thing. I, want to, I do want to cover uh, yeah, quantity of material tonight. And I think that's the way the Lord has uh, laid in my heart. And so we're going we're gonna to do that. So fasten your seatbelts, tray tables in upright position, and uh, we'll, we'll get ready to go. Amen? Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 8, rather, I said 6, verse number 8, is our, uh, is our verse, our, our theme verse for the stewardship conference. It says, and God is able, amen, He is able to make all grace abound towards you. Do you believe that? You need to believe that by faith, all right, to make all grace that's the, that's the quantity of the blessings of God uh, for the believer. From salvation uh, to dying to resurrection, that's the quantity of all blessings that God wants and will and can and desires to bestow on His children. To make all grace abound toward you, that ye, ye is a plural word, by the way, it's, uh, it's, uh, in the Greek it's you all, okay, or y'all, depending and where are you from? That's uh, everybody. So he say, I just don't think God blesses me. Well, the book says he does. He blesses us all with grace, all kinds of grace. That ye always, there's never a time when God isn't bestowing grace on his people. Having all sufficiency, he has the ability to do it all. In all things, I mean, that's pretty inclusive. May abound, be filled up. We talked a lot about this this morning. May abound to every good Work. That should be the outcome of God's abounding grace on the believer. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this good song service. We thank you for these songs that are so meaningful and so full of, of, of meat. And Lord, I pray that uh, you've accepted our praise and our worship for you tonight. I pray now that we come to the preaching of your word that you might anoint me with your power. Lord, I need your help. I can't do anything or say anything that would be a blessing to anybody apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the Word into our hearts. 
Give the church ears to hear what the Spirit would say and help me to have utterance that I might give that which would be your will and your mind in this preaching time, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. All right, so we've looked so far at the importance of acknowledging God's ownership. That's the basis for stewardship is that God is the owner of all things. He's the owner of all things because He is the creator of all things. He's the owner of all things because He is the sustainer of all things. Everything that is came from nothing. And it came from nothing by the power of the Word of God. And then everything that exists does not go back to nothing because it's upheld by the power of the Word of God. So it's the Word of God that creates and sustains, and it's the Word that comes from God. Therefore, God is the owner of all things. And because He's the owner of all things, then we're just borrowing it. We're just borrowing it. This world we live in, we just borrow. We, you say, I own my home. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't own your home. Somebody else is going to live there someday. All right? You say, I drive my own car. Well, it may not be your car. It may be somebody else's someday pre-enjoyed amen that's what they say now it's a pre-enjoyed car amen instead of a instead of an old rattle trap you you had to you know pay a thousand bucks for it's pre-enjoyed amen so nothing we have is ours uh the bible talks about people who name their property after themselves and uh and in a generation or so nobody even knows you know what it was named and so we own nothing god is the owner of all things god accepts we accept god's supply uh, with contentment is the next thing. We should be content with whatever it is God gives us. And uh, you know, a head scratcher. You get down to Haiti and you see believers down there struggling. I mean, if they had one meal like we had today, uh, they'd be set for almost a week. I mean, they really would. And they say, well, why, why aren't they blessed like we're blessed? And I believe that God blesses cultures and Christians relative to those cultures that they find themselves in. So people in war or whatever are not going to live the same lifestyle that we live. And who knows, maybe our lifestyle could be taken away uh, pretty quickly and easily as well. And so we prosper relative to the blessing of God on a nation. And that's a whole other subject. When you read your Bible, you need, to know, you need to know whose mail you're reading. Are you reading the mail of a king to a nation uh, or a judge to a nation? Are you reading the mail of a, an epistle to a church? Whose mail are you reading? And uh, when you read in the Psalms where it says, destroy all your enemies, and, and you read in the New Testament where it says, love your enemies, you've got a problem. But you've got to realize that God's saying to Israel, you need to, you need to go to war and do a job on these people because they'll destroy you. And that's different from an individual who's supposed to love, your, love their enemy. So you've got to know whose mail you're reading, amen, uh, in the Word of God. And so accept God's supply, uh, whatever it may be, in good times, bad times, but with contentment. I'm going to tell you this. The reason a lot of Christians aren't blessed is because they're not content with what they have. If we became content with what we had, now content isn't the same as complacency. All right? You can be, you can be content and complacent and not ever try to improve yourself or ever try to improve your situation. That's not, that's not God's way. Uh, God is entrepreneurial. And the Bible says... In the millennium, every man's going to sit under his own fig tree. There's going to be enterprise in the millennial reign of Christ. Don't have time to develop that. Uh, but so, contentment isn't complacency, but contentment is, is satisfaction uh, with where you're at and what God has provided, and then at seeking His will as you move forward in your life. And so, accept God's supply with contentment. Thirdly, 
and this is where we're going to, uh, uh, you know, set sail tonight, analyze every expenditure carefully. Now, that doesn't mean you pray for a week over buying a pack of gum. That's not what I'm talking about. But when, when you're, when you're, uh, when you're going to spend money, realize, that, as we've said, that that is the blessing of God to you, and you have a responsibility to answer to God for whatever it might be. And I've given you some, uh, I'm going to give you some uh, questions you can ask to follow. But let me ask you this. Are you an impulsive spender? Are you an impulsive spender? If you are, uh, you need to get that under control. I know some people that watch that channel, you know, where they're always selling stuff. What's that called? What? Okay. Yeah, QBC. Yeah, see, I don't even know, but I know it's there. I've seen it. And they're selling jewelry and watches and all that stuff. I know people have literally almost gone bankrupt just buying stuff off of that. You've got to watch out for salesmen and saleswomen, amen. Some of them are pretty good. But some people are just an impulsive spender, impulsive buyer. Some people are, uh, they see shopping as a sport. And, you know, it's like a, it's like a ball game. They're excited. And uh, I, I know sort of what that's like. I like to hunt rabbits. You know, I haven't in a lot of years because of my back. But it's exciting, you know. And it's like hunting, for a, for, especially for a lot of ladies. Boy, they just, it's a sport. They're a, they're a shopping fan. They're a fan of shopping. We had a uh, senior trip. Uh, to a beautiful town that had a, a big street fair and street sale and that kind of thing. There's one lady, she, I can remember she had blonde hair, right? And she was just all excited. We're going to go to a yard sale, or not a yard sale, but a, but a street uh, carnival where all the merchants has everything supposedly discounted. And the leader wanted to kind of keep everybody together. And I said, well, that's going to be like herding cats in this, this situation. No, I want to try to keep everything together. And she let everybody, we're going to keep it together. We opened a van door, and this lady was just a yellow streak. Shoom, out, out she went. And uh, she's never seen again until we were ready to leave. I mean, she was, boy, she was a shopping fanatic, amen. She wanted to just get out there and get her done. Well, you got to be careful about all that, amen. So I'm going to give you some questions to ask yourself. Uh, in relation to spending uh, your money. Number one, can I pay cash for this purchase, or will this purchase increase my debt? Can I pay cash for it, or will it increase my debt? Proverbs 22, verse 7, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Proverbs 22, 7. Can I pay cash for it, or will it increase my debt? We learned last, yes, last Saturday that debt... We're to owe no man anything but to love, all right? Uh, number two, do I have any doubts concerning this purchase? Do I have any doubts concerning this purchase? Romans 14, 23, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So if you say, well, I'm not sure if I should buy this or not. If you don't have a peace about it, then don't do it, all right? So do I have a doubt about this purchase? I, I've purchased things that I didn't pray about. I wish I wish I was perfect like you folks, amen? Because you're all looking at me like, yeah, I'm going to see how you are. And But, you know, I'm made out of the same 14 elements of the ground you are, and I've purchased things that I shouldn't have and had no end of trouble with it, all right? So, boy, I want that car, and it just breaks down. I had a car. I don't think I ever put a full tank of gas through it without doing something to it, amen? So, you know, did you pray about it? Or, 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 do you have any doubts about it? Number three... Have I given God opportunity to supply it without debt? Have I prayed about it? Uh, Lord, maybe you have a, you know, something, you know, a car for me or whatever it might be. Maybe you have something, a blessing for me, 
And Lord, I'm going to give you the opportunity. You know what? If, if you pray about it and God gives it to you, then that's a, that's a prayer of praise. Amen? That's something to, uh, to let others know that God answers prayer and uh, He meets needs. And uh, I used to, I don't do this anymore, but I used to keep track of my prayer requests and answers and dates to that. I mean, we were, we were really struggling, lived below the poverty level a good part of my life, and uh, pray for garden seeds. And I had the date that God supplied those things. And just to see, to go through that, uh, prayer, uh, I call it a prayer book, but it's a prayer request uh, uh, book, and see how God answered those prayers is a real boost uh, in, your spiritual, uh, in your spiritual walk. It's a boost of faith. So ask God for things. Seek God. He'll, he'll give good gifts to His children because He loves us. And number four, is it a wise investment and do I really need it? Let me give you the scripture for number three. Psalm 37.5, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Okay, that's number three. Number four, is it a wise investment, and do I really need it? Is it wise? In, now, just because you don't need something doesn't mean it's wrong to buy it, okay? There's lots of stuff that we buy we don't absolutely need, uh, but that's a question to ask yourself. Is it a wise investment? Do I really need it? Proverbs uh, 20.14 it is not, it is not, saith the buyer, but when he is gone his way, then he boasteth. Amen. Number five, I don't know why it's doing that. Number five, will it be meaningful for all the family, or is it selfishness, is selfishness my motive? Is it meaningful to everybody? First Timothy 5, 8, but uh, if any provide not for his own, especially those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. You see, when your wife wants something, you can't afford it. When you want something, guys, you go out and buy two of them. Amen? So, you know, is, is, is your purchase taking the whole family into consideration when you buy that thing? Or are you putting your husband or wife in bondage uh, un, uh, unnecessarily uh, when, uh, when you make that purchase? And so that's a question to ask yourself. Number six, will it glorify God? Now, look, there's, there's such a thing as innocence, okay? There, I really believe that. I know, I know a pastor who says, oh, I... Singing happy birthday is evil because we only, I don't sing Christian songs. And uh, God put a new song in our heart. Well, happy birthday is innocent. Let me ask you this. Before the fall of man, was Adam righteous? The answer is no. Was Adam unrighteous? The answer is no. What was he? He was innocent. He was innocent. There's just certain things that are innocent. Rocking by a baby on the tree. Well, like the baby falls and dies, I guess. Maybe that's not so, maybe that's not so innocent. But there are a lot of things that are just innocent, right? So I'm not saying that, the, that buying something you know, that, that is innocent is, is wrong, but will this thing glorify God? Will it be a good testimony or a bad testimony? Particularly a bad testimony. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all the glory of God. Can you give God glory and praise? You say, go out and buy a pack of cigarettes. Can you thank God for your pack of cigarettes? That's going to kill you in the end, Amen. Is that something to praise God for? No, well, I guess maybe you shouldn't do that. I, I've told, told people, and I've thrown out this challenge for years. Christian come to me and say, Preacher, I'm trying to quit smoking. I've got to tell you how to do it. What you do is you promise God you'll give your smoking money to missions. And, uh, but if you smoke, you don't have to give your smoking money to missions. But know this, you'll be robbing a missionary. <laughs> Amen? You'll be robbing a missionary. Never had anybody take me up on it. I thought it was a good idea. All right? <laughs> Number seven, is my purchase motivated by the love of things. 
is my purchase motivated by the love of things? Love not the world, 1 John 2.15, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Is it based on the love of things? And then, account for all money spent. This is giving me fits tonight. Now I don't know where I'm at. Oops. Oh, I know I'm too far. Yeah, account for all money spent. We're going to give account, and I've talked a lot about that, so I'm not going to belabor this. But we're going to give it. We give account of every idle word. Uh, if we're stewards, whatever God gives us, we're going to give an account to God uh, for that thing. And so we need to be careful with our spending. All right. So acknowledge God's ownership, accept God's supply with contentment, analyze every expenditure carefully, account for all money spent. God's prospering, careful spending, and then thirdly tonight, abundant giving. Abundant giving. Now, you say, I knew Brother Craig would get to that sooner or later. Amen. Abundant giving. You'll be blessed if you give. A preacher that does not tell his people about giving is a preacher that does a disservice to his congregation. Your pastor has me here doing this because he loves you. He wants you to be blessed. And he wants you to understand stewardship. That's an important thing. And, uh, and, and it's, it's like this. There was a missionary years ago I heard about. And he was in uh, some jungle tribe. And he said, I, I just can't teach, teach my people to tithe because they're so poor now and there's no way they could tithe. And, and uh, another missionary said, you know, brother, you are hurting your people by not teaching them to give. And he said, this is what you do. He said, you tell your folks that if their chickens lay 10 eggs, you bring one and put it in the storehouse. If your, if your squash produces 10 squash, you bring one, put it in the storehouse. And then when people have a need, they can come and get what they need. Do you know that congregation started to prosper above their neighbors? And it was a wonderful testimony to the neighbors. Hey, we're giving away, but yet God is blessing us and meeting our needs. And that's very simple. You know, that's a very simple illustration. But that's really the way it is. God blesses a cheerful giver. And so abundant giving is God's plan uh, to give the first fruits uh, of, of uh, everything that we have. Not, no one aspect of stewardship has such a direct effect on our prosperity as our giving. Go back, hold your finger there if you wouldn't. Go back to Philippians chapter 4. And verse number 19, Philippians 4, 19. Everybody loves this verse. Everybody loves the promises of God that are positive. There's some promises of God that aren't so positive, okay? But notice, it says, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in by Christ Jesus. Now, every Baptist memorizes that verse, amen? We like that verse. Go back to verse 14. Let's look at the context. Go back to verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful but lacked opportunity. Paul's saying, you supported me as a missionary. And then things got bad and you weren't able to support me as a missionary, and, and that's fine. But he said, I'm glad that you started to support me again. I've been in situations like that where I had to cut back on a missionary. It killed me to do it, but had to do it. Somebody had to pay the light bill. And then later on we were able to support the missionary again. So that's what happened here. Now verse number 14, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. So Paul says, well, I had, I had afflictions, and evidently you took up a love offering, 
and you uh, were a blessing to me. Uh, verse 13, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving or receiving, but ye only. He said, you're my only supporting church. I hear missionaries talk like that. Oh, no, but I've preached a hundred churches. I've only got two supporting churches. Uh, verse 17, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound and am full, having saying God has supplied my need, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. Fun fact, okay, fun fact. Epaphroditus. Bible names usually carry some kind of connotation to it, right? Epaphroditus. Ditus is uh, where we get the word dice. Dice. This man probably had a gambling problem before he got saved. But now they look around, they took a love offering for Brother Paul, and looked around and said, uh, who, can, uh, who can we trust to take this love offering to Brother Paul? And everybody said, well, Paphroditus, boy, God's done a work in his heart. <laughs> We're going to let him do it. And they trusted him to do it because he was a new creature in Christ. Amen. That's just a fun fact. It has nothing to do with the message. Um, verse number 19. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying, Paul's saying that you were a blessing to me. You helped me in my affliction. Uh, you filled me and met my need. And God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, I was, in a, I was traveling down through the Delaware Water Gap, and it was a Wednesday night, and I thought, well, we'll stop some kind of church. I never know what, where you're at there. I mean, that all blends together. Delaware, uh, Pennsylvania, and Maryland all come together. And in those mountains, you have no idea what state you're in. A state of confusion, usually. And... <laughs> And there's a little white church, and I don't know if it was Baptist or not, but the lights were on on Wednesday night. So my wife and I stopped in there, and I went to prayer meeting. And I sat, I like to sit in the back, and I size up the church. It's a professional has I size up the church. I know who the troublemakers are. I know who the pastor's wife is. I know who the, you know, I, I can size up the church pretty good. And it's gifted as a sermon, I'm afraid. It's maybe more of a curse of a sermon. Anyway, I don't like my wife saying, oh, my, my husband's a pastor, because that gets you stuck. You know, I just want to sit in the back and get blessed and leave. And, uh, oh, my, wife, my husband's a pastor, so I know, okay, now the cat's out of the back. And so they're taking prayer requests. And I just knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that I was going to be the guy that has to pray for all the prayer requests. I shouldn't say have to, but I don't know anybody, you know. And so it's kind of hard to pray for people when you don't know them and stuff. So I'm writing down names and, you know, taking a prayer request because I know it's going to be me. And everybody's out of work. This was a lot of years ago. Everybody's out of work. The Smiths are out of work. Joneses are out of work. This, 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 this. And so I, I said, Lord, now, and I listed the names. I said, now, Lord, I pray that you'd bless these folks that are struggling financially as they have blessed others in the past. Well, up to that point, we had a lot of amens and yeah mans, but at this point, you could hear a pin drop. If you expect God to bless you when you're down, you better be blessing somebody when they're down. That's what Philippians 4.19 says, if you look at the context. I mean, it's fun to pull a verse out of context and say, God's going to take care of me, and He will, but you know, not like if you've been uh, blessing others. I was, I was, uh, we had a family down the road from where I lived, and I know, I know nobody was there, okay? And they were having a hard, hard time financially. So I said to my kids, we're gonna, I'm going to, uh, I didn't write a check. I'm going to put $50 in an envelope, 
and I'm gonna, we're going to go down there and we're going to put it in their mailbox. Okay. Now, they live maybe, I don't know, two miles or something down the road, maybe three. So we went down, put $50 in their mailbox, and came back, and I said, well, the mailman's been here, let's get our mail. Would you believe, would you believe there was an envelope with $50 in it, unmarked, for the Craigs? I'm serious. And you know what kind of, you know what kind of a witness that was to my children? You give, God gives. You give, God gives. And that's, what, and that's exciting, by the way. That's exciting. When I was in Bible college, I, w- I refused to go into debt. I worked sometimes full-time, preached out somewhere almost every weekend. But there was somebody, or maybe more than one, in that Bible college that would sneak money into my college mailbox. And you had to go across the dining hall to get in the mailbox. And you better believe, I almost always went to the mailbox before I went to the cafeteria. And that's saying something for me, because I like to eat, amen? My wife knows I like to eat. And, and, uh, and I'll bet you there was somebody watching. You know, when I pulled that out of that mess, and they got a blessing, and so did I. So did I. I mean, we need to, we need to meet the needs of others and uh, sometimes the wants of others as well. And so abundant giving, very important part of stewardship. Luke 6, 18, it says, Give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. It's not like it just rains down from heaven. I mean, that could happen. But it's, it's men, people will give unto your bosom, uh, for with the same, get this, for the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. That's the same thing as Philippians chapter 4. Honor God with the first fruits. This has been a biblical practice of God's people, actually since Abraham, or even, I think, before Abraham, to the present. Giving the first tenth of the increase before the Lord, as an act of worship. You know, no one in the Bible came before God without a sacrifice in the Old Testament. And uh, this matter of tithing is not a legal issue. Somebody says, well, tithing, that's under the law. No, Abraham paid tithes. You know, Melchizedek was a Baptist. Moses was a Presbyterian. You know how I know that? If you just studied the Hebrew, you'd know that, all right? Moses needed money to build the tabernacle. He said, you all give. They gave more than they needed. Moses sent it back. No Baptist would ever do that. that would, you'd lose your ordination, brother, if you did that. But Abraham takes spoils of his enemies, and a, guy, a Baptist preacher shows up. Amen. His name was uh, Brother Melchizedek. And he took tithes, Abraham. Now you say, well, tithing's not in the New Testament. It talks about that in the book of Hebrews, which is New Testament. Also, Jesus talked about tithing. He talked about the the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and he said, you tithe the mint and anise, but then he says, these things you should have done, but you left the other undone, mercy and justice and so forth. You should do this. You should tithe uh, uh, to the the Pharisees. Abraham, now Abraham and Jacob, we know that Jacob promised God that he'd start tithing. God, it was a quick pro quo. God, if you do this, I'll do this, you know. God did that. I'm not sure Jacob ever did tithe. He was, he was kind of a, a skin flint, you know, and a kind of a shady kind of character. I'm not sure he ever really did, but he told God he would, meaning that God demanded that or expected that of him. The rule of one in ten, the first fruits. I sent talking to a preacher today. I read somewhere, and I don't know if it's true, but that all of our trees, you know, botanists or whatever have decided this, 
All of the trees that we have come from ten trees. They can go back to ten trees. And what did God say? He said, you can eat a nine of them, but you can't eat of that tenth one. Do you remember when uh, the thing there with Ai? What was the big deal? He took of the first fruits that belong to God. One out of ten. Ten cities. Ten cities. All right? So Abraham and Jacob were over 400 years before the law. What was the age before the law? Well, you could say it was a patriarchal period. Okay, that's fine. But what, what did it say of Noah? And Noah found what? Grace. grace in the eyes of the Lord. That was grace. Without law, there's grace. After law, there's grace. Now, God's always been gracious. He was gracious in the law. But I'm talking about the period. The law simply incorporated God's program of giving that He gave to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob into the law. Okay? Before we had the United States of America, was it wrong to murder somebody? Yes. Now, when we made our laws here, we said, hey, guess what, folks? It's wrong to murder somebody, and we'll put you in prison or put you to death if you murder somebody. Did, did that mean uh, that, that if that law ever were to go away, that it wasn't legitimate prior to the making of that law? See? No. So you, you tithe in the Old Testament, you tithe under the law, and you tithe in the New Testament as it is reiterated in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, and the book of Hebrews under Melchizedek. You say, well, you're kind of stretching things under Melchizedek. Not really. Melchizedek is the key to a lot of stuff, and we don't realize it. Melchizedek, look, you're not, a, you're not a Levitical priest. You say, well, the Bible says I'm a priest. I'm a kingdom of priests. Yeah, amen. But you're not a Levitical priest. Was Je is Jesus a priest? Amen. Talk to me. Jesus a priest. Is he a Levitical priest? I had a fellow, and this guy is smart. He knows the Word. He's, I would never uh, go head-to-head -head with him in a Bible debate. He would bury me. Smart guy. He can name all the pharaohs of Egypt. He can name all the dynasties. He can name when they started and when they ended and how they ended and why they ended and all the rest of this guy. He's a King James guy. Loves the Lord. He told me when my wife died, he said, you've got to marry either a virgin or a uh, widow of a pastor. I said, whoa, where'd he get that? Well, that's the way it was for the priests in the Old Testament. I thought, boy, that guy's awful dumb for being awful smart. I said, you can't eat catfish. Yes. You know, if one's wrong, the other's wrong. I mean, you take the whole thing or not or any of it. You can't eat, and that's something else. You can't perform a funeral because you can't come near a dead body. Oh. And he's my friend. I mean, we didn't have a fight. I mean, when I'm right, I'm right. Amen. And <laughs> there's just no more to be said about it. We are priests after a new order, which is the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is a Melchizedekian priest. And with Melchizedek, the Bible says there is no law. But Jesus looked at those Pharisees and saying, this tithing business you should have done. See? So we're priests after the order of Melchizedek, to whom Abraham tithed, and we're all the children of Abraham by faith. Galatians chapter 3, verse 17. If you want to turn there, you might want to, but I'm going to read it for sake of time. Galatians 3, 17. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God 
in Christ. What, what was that? That was the seed, that the seed would come through Abraham and the Jewish nation produce Christ the Savior. The law, that was the covenant, which was 430 years after, after what? Abraham and, I, and Jacob cannot disannul that it should be made the promise of none effect, the promise of the seed. But what he's saying there is the, the promises and the truths and the commandments that God gave before the law is not disallowed by the law. So when God said in the Old Testament you ought to tithe, that carries through regardless of whether or not the law existed or not. Amen. Now, somebody says, wonder grace, you ought to do much more. We're not going to fight over that in the parking lot. I'm a preacher, I'm a preacher amen? And uh, if you want to give more, that's praise God. We should probably do more under grace than we were told to do under law. So I have no problem with that. I just have a problem with the, the theory behind it, uh, maybe, but I don't have a problem with, with somebody doing that. So uh, the Old Testament is proven by the New Testament. Now, Second, First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13, uh, it says, Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple. So the priests, the Levitical priests, lived by the sacrifices that were given to the temple. Somebody bring a lamb, the priest would eat the lamb. Okay? They'd bring a tithe, the priest ate or lived off the tithe. So the tithe that came into the temple and the sacrifices were given to the priest to sustain their ability to minister holy things. Okay, does that make sense? You got that? All right, so do you know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, question mark, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? You say, well, I don't think eating meat's right. Well, they ate a lot of meat. It was always either boiled or broiled. That's interesting. And then it says this. So the, the priest lived off the sacrifices and the gifts and the tithes that came into the temple, even so, this is the New Testament, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. How do you take care of your pastor? Tithes and offerings. How do you take care of the church of God? Tithes and offerings. How do we take care of missionaries? Tithes and offerings, just like the priests of the Old Testament. Because it says, even so. God's promises are true. Now, next, this thing is finicky tonight. Honor God with the first fruits. Number two, hilarious giving to missions. Hilarious giving to missions. Second Corinthians 9, uh, verses 6 and 7. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, shall let him give not grudgingly of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. So what's God saying there? If you're grumpy, you need to get cheerful. Amen. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath, despised, he hath dispersed abroad. Missions are abroad. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. And so that's giving to those that are missionary, uh, missionaries. Now, maybe not in the absolute strictest sense, but here's what was going on. I'm going to combine a whole lot of stuff into... Uh, just a few short sentences here. Uh, but here's what was going on. <clears throat> the Christians were under great persecution. You know what they did? They were scattered abroad, Acts chapter 8, and there's other scripture. They were scattered abroad, and you know what they did? They started churches. 
if God moves you somewhere where there's not a church, you ought to start one. You say, well, I'm not an ordained member of the clergy. I said, when you move somewhere and there's no church, you ought to start one. <laughs> it had nothing to do with being an ordained member of the clergy. And when you get a group together and you can call a pastor, it is called to, to pastor that church, whatever. But if there's no church, Ron, and you're there, start one. That was the pattern of the book of Acts. They were scattered everywhere, and churches cropped up everywhere. And the Christians were persecuted everywhere. And what did Paul say? Send them offerings. And so what do we have? We have church planters that Paul says you're supposed to support if there's any way possible. That's missions. And that was the birth of of modern-day mission philosophy of giving to missions. Now, so how do we do that? Well, first of all, we do it by faith. I think that's another slide. We do it by faith. 2 Corinthians 8.3, For to their power, and I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. They gave by faith. When was the last time you did anything by faith? I'm not talking about stupidity, okay? I'm saying you prayed about it. God laid it in your heart, and you went ahead and did it. Important, God laid it on your heart. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So God's got to make that real in your heart. But you say, okay, God's leading me to do that. I'm going to do it. And you step out by faith and give beyond your ability, uh, perhaps the missions or whatever that need might be. All right, so that's one way. We can give the missions by faith, readiness of mind, joyfulness when prompted to do it, uh, excited about doing this for God. Um, and the great trial of their affliction and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. They couldn't believe it. Now, we have that example in the Bible, don't we? Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives with his disciples and he's watching people. I love to watch people. People are the most interesting thing there is to watch. You go to the zoo. I've got to guarantee you what I, You try this this summer. Do we have any giraffes in the, Sir, in the Syracuse Zoo? Anybody know? Syracuse Zoo. Do we? Hello? Okay. They're not talking to me now. I'm in trouble. I can see that. All right. As you go over by the, gra- the giraffe cage, and there's people there, I'll guarantee you somebody will say, boy, he's in trouble if he gets a sore throat. <laughs> and I don't laugh at that. I laugh at him, you know, because somebody will, somebody, I'll guarantee you, and they'll think they're funny. And a lot of them think that's the first time anybody ever thought of that. Amen. You know, so I, I love what pe- Jesus was a people watcher. And he's sitting around all his disciples, and he's looking at people coming and going. And, this, and, and the Pharisees, when they would give, they would blow a trumpet. Hey, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm blowing a trumpet. Look at me. And they, when they threw the money in the treasury, they'd try to make the loudest noise possible. Look at me, boy. I'm a, I'm a big-time giver. And I can just see this little old widow lady. Probably has a real long dress on, you know, and just as poor as can be. And she's got her head down, and she just kind of shuffles over and, got a little purse never get behind anybody in line at walmart that just has a purse and coins and lady get out of the way i gotta get out of here she's all embarrassed and she opens her little purse the only thing that's in there is two little mites and she pulls it out embarrassed quietly puts it in the treasury and shuffles off nobody's excited about her jesus said she gave more than all those other guys put together. 
because she gave it all. I'm not saying you've got to give it all. I'm saying that we can give by faith above our ability, by faith. Number two, second way is sacrificially. First, uh, Second Corinthians 8, 8 and 11, I speak not by commandment, I'm not commanding it, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. And so giving by, they gave by sacrifice, and that showed their love. Thirdly, from their abundance. We give from our abundance. And that's where most of us are at. We have a little extra, we give it. Second uh, Corinthians 8.14, But by our equity, that none at this time your abundance may be, uh, may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want. See, you give to them, God will give to you, that there may be uh, equality. All right? So you give, God gives to you. It really works that way. It really, really does. I used to have a every year a uh, double tithe month. If you don't tithe, start for one month. God doesn't bless you, don't. You say, well, that doesn't sound right. It says, prove me here what saith the Lord. The only place in the Bible where God says test me is when it comes to giving. Prove me, saith the Lord. And I say, prove God. And if you tithe for one month, double tithe. I'm not saying you know, I've got to double tithe all the time, but for one month, double tithe. And we usually had a project, you know, need a new carpet or whatever. Not always, but the double tithe. And people would take me up in that challenge, and then we have a testimony time at the end of the month. And people would get up and they would say, I didn't believe this, you can't believe this, but I've been doing that and look what God did. And we'd have tears rolling down people's faces as they gave testimony at the end of that Prove Me month. God is faithful. You say, well, God didn't do that for me. He will. He will. You don't always, you don't always uh, harvest your oats uh, the day after you plant them. But I'll tell you what, it was amazing. It was amazing to see testimony after testimony after testimony after four weeks of proving God that God is faithful. It was amazing, amazing. I mean, it just took my breath away, and I believe it. You know, I didn't have to prove it to myself, but it was really exciting to see it actually happen. Acts 4, 33-35, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and bought the, pre, uh, the prices of the things that were, that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distrib- distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. There's no lack in the church. That's not communism, by the way. That was God laying in the heart of people to do things, and they did it. It's neat. It is so neat to see God lay on somebody's heart to help somebody else. And notice what it says. There was great grace upon them. Great grace. God makes up. God makes up for. So there was no shortage. There was equal distribution. And there was abundance in their life. All right? And then I'm winding down. Help others from your abundance. In the book of Ephesians uh, 4.28. Let him that stole still no more. Okay, that's good. Let him labor working with his hands the things which is good, now get this, that he may have to give unto him that needeth. That's almsgiving. You labor. Why, why do you go to work? Why, do you go, why are you going to go to work tomorrow? So you have to give to somebody 
that needs. That's what that verse says. I had a, a neighbor, he was a, he was a godly man, and he carried rural route mail, mail all of his life and retired from the post office. We had a little town newspaper, and they were starved for news, you know, to fill up the pages, and so they interviewed him. And he said, oh yeah, he said, I worked that job for all those years so I'd have money to meet the needs of others. I thought, what a testimony. What a testimony. Why did we work? We want a bigger house, we want a new car, we want this, we want that. Okay, I'm not against those things. I'm saying that if you do that and it's all about yourself, God's not going to pour out a blessing on you like you, should, like you would like to have. Savings should be spirit-led effort to accomplish certain goals. I'm going to hit these things quickly. Biblical principles to observe while saving, all right? Remember rightful ownership. Retain proper priorities, and we've gone over all these things. Refuse to let savings be an expression of anxiety and fear. <laughs> you know, I don't have enough saved up. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just spend some of my savings on, on this emergency, and, and I just don't have to. No, 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 no. That's not a God, okay? Don't worry about it. You do what's right, God will take care of you. All right? Restrict investment, actual income, not anticipated income. In other words, I want to buy, I remember my first house. I went to the bank. I went to the bank, and uh, they said, well, okay, you're going to have a hard time with this now, but your income's going to go up, right? Oh, yeah, of course it will. <laughs> How do you know your income's going to go up? So let's buy this house on the hopes of future advancement in your income. A lot of people think that way. That's not right. That's not smart. Retain from high risk, re refrain from high risk and get rich quick schemes. Talked a lot about that Saturday. Robbing God of tithes and offerings should not be a source of your investment. <laughs> Amen. Shall man rob God? You say, well, I don't tithe. You know what that makes you? It makes you a, a robber. It makes you a thief. I brought my pistol tonight, so just so you know. <laughs> Makes you a thief, robbing God. I mean, if you'd rob God, you might rob me. I mean, it sort of follows. Right. Reject the counsel of wicked men concerning investments. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't go to the ungodly for advice. Go to Christian men. Go to people who love the Lord. Right. All right? They're not always right either, but they'll be more right than people that don't. All right? Christian households practice total stewardship and spending, sharing, savings will prosper under abundant provision. We'll quit there. Amen. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word tonight and all these truths of stewardship and, Father, of how we can be blessed and how we can have the grace of God unleashed on us by us unleashing the grace of God on others. I pray, Lord, that we might really, really understand these principles and might it be a means of uh, spiritual growth, and an, an exciting walk with you as we test you and, 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 and see that you will, in a material way, oftentimes bless us for our faithfulness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are open. The, our eyes are closed. Heads are bowed. Uh, organist, the pianist is going to play a hymn of invitation. If God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Come and do some business with God tonight. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, tonight's the night to do that. So I invite you to come while we wait. Father, bless this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.